Good morning, guys. We got in late last night, and I, I had been to been to Puckett's downtown, and um, I looked at my maps, and it's like, what, nine minutes. I said, oh, good, I can sleep in. <laughs> Woke up this morning, look, there's a text from Andy. No, Franklin. So I'm awake now. I, that woke me up. Um, well, thank you, Andy, and thank you guys for, for having me. Can this, um, can I steal this out of it? There we go. Got delivered from bondage up here. Um, so we don't have a uh, countdown clock. I'll have to try to make this quick. So let's close in prayer. We can do that. You know, when I was a kid, um, my dad used to take me to the Tuesday morning, I think they call it the men's Bible class breakfast. And I walked in this morning and I felt... Um, Nothing better than men getting together for breakfast and connecting and talking about life. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about um, a word we throw around a lot. Everybody knows it. It's the word trust. But we kind of skip over it like a speed bump. And we all pretty much know what it means to trust somebody. But when you go through life, let me ask a question. Any of you ever... Now, don't raise your hand if that person's at the table with you. Anybody ever been really let down or betrayed in life or business by somebody that you, um, you trusted? And those betrayals um, can form us and shape us and wreck us and kind of change the courses of our life. And we have this button inside of us that causes us um, to trust. And we do it. Sometimes we do it well. Sometimes we do it not so well. I wrote a book on this um, this past year, and the subtitle is Trust. The subtitle is um, When to Give It, When to Withhold It, How to Earn It, and How to Fix It When It Gets Broken. And as I was studying this over the years, I, I work mainly with CEOs and companies and executive teams and their cultures and family offices multi-generational family stuff. And <clears throat> I don't think I've ever been called into a situation where you start to get a little past the surface and trust is not in the picture somewhere. So a long time ago, I started to, to research all the literature on this and everything in leadership and psychology and business and all that. I'm a clinical psychologist by training. And... <clears throat> I mean, there's so much out there on trust, but as I started to kind of factor analyze all that, it got down to five buckets. And I thought, wouldn't it be helpful if we had a little GPS, you know, that we could evaluate hiring somebody or doing a deal with somebody or even get better in our own lives of knowing when is it, when is it pretty smart to hit the trust button and when should we hit pause? So I'm going to give you that this morning. You can take it with you. Five quick things. Um, a number of years ago, I got called into a situation where it's a global company. You would all know the name. And the CEO and the chairman had gotten sideways. And um, the whole thing was about to blow up. It would have had 
impacted hundreds of thousands of lives and lots and lots of money. And it was about to blow up. They just um, were at the end. And so they called an emergency board retreat and asked me to facilitate it and help. And so we start out, and half the board was siding with the CEO and half with the the chairman. And we started out, and it's pretty cordial. And I said, well, I want to, you know, make sure we're starting from the same set of facts. We want to kind of get a little bit of review of the last year. And so the chairman started to talk, and then the CEO would kind of come back and interrupt him and um, – sort of invalidate what he was saying or change it or and this went on for a little bit and and I'm noticing you know it's cordial but it it's not great and after about 10 minutes the chairman closes his notebook and looks up and says I'm done here you guys can have it good luck and I'm looking at my watch. We're supposed to be here all weekend. This thing's over <laughs> in 10 minutes. And I didn't know what to do. He got up and he started to walk out. And everybody's like, because everybody knew what that meant. And I, I didn't know what to do. So I I don't even know if I thought. But I got up and I ran and I sat down on the floor in front of him. So he couldn't go out the door. <laughs> and... I'll never be, he looks at me like, what? And I said, look, you can walk out that door, but if you do, you would have set into place a chain of events that can't be undone. So I want you to do me a favor. I just want you to sit down for a minute. He looks. So I guess when a crazy person asks you to do something, you do it. (laughs) So this chairman sits down on the floor, and I, I said, I want to ask you a question. What's it like for you? when he does what he just did. He looks at me. He says, all right, I'll tell you. He started talking, and then his chin starts to quiver. And there was a lot of pain there. He can kind of barely get the words out. And he's trying to talk, and I just feel, you know, a few words here and there, trying to explain it, but he's really hurting I noticed movement over here, and the um, the CEO had gotten up, and he was walking over, and he sat down on the floor. <laughs> he reached out, and he puts his arm on the chairman's shoulder, and he said, I never knew I made you feel that way. That's the last thing I would ever want to do. I am so sorry. And the guy looks up at him, and Kind of, and I could tell something was happening, so I asked the board to leave. We talked for about an hour and a half. And then the two men went out and said, okay, you guys can come back in. I think we can go forward. Well, it took about another year of a lot of work, but they had a pretty good 15-year run after that. And that gets us to kind of the first element of trust. When you look at the algorithm, I said there's five of these. I'm going to have to race through them. I'm sorry. But the first one is we trust someone when we feel like they understand us. Understanding, and, you know, as leaders and guys, you know, we think we understand somebody when we understand them. 
But remember this sentence. We un- bless you. You're welcome. I understand. <laughs> we we understand somebody not when we understand them, but when they understand that we understand. And you know the Bible is very clear about. There's so much neuroscience around this. You know, you're wired your whole system neurologically, starting with mirror neurons at birth. You have. You know, a baby looks up and mom, and they're upset, and she responds. And the mirror neurons tell me the number one question that every human's asking 24 7 before anything else, and that is, Am I safe? And they feel that through attunement and somebody really listening, and they start to open up. And we're wired this way it goes from the womb to the tomb. And this thing about understanding. It, it begins to, you know, especially guys, we do this. We think we understand, and we start to persuade people to trust us, talk them into the deal, tell them why our idea, you know, on a team is the way to go, and we're persuasive. But nobody's listening until they feel like you get them. And we try to get them to get us by having them understand us. But the way the algorithm works inside of a person is, They've got to feel like you really know what matters to them. Your customers need that. Your investors need that. Your kids need that. Your wife needs that. How many times has a spouse come home to a note after 10 years of marriage says, I can't do this anymore, and they're gone? The other spouse goes, what? And She's been trying to tell you for 10 years. We're not listening. So that's the first one. A few years ago, um, I fell out on Santa Monica Pier. We, we just moved here um, from Los Angeles. Um, uh, yeah, I'm one of those, sorry. <laughs> I'm from the South, if that, that helps. Um, if I look 14% richer, <laughs> some of you get that. <laughs> um, but I fell out on the pier with my knee had been going out. I'm a competitive golfer throughout life, and my knee went out. It had been getting bad over a year, and one day I hit the pavement, and um, the nerve pain was so bad. I, I couldn't, they had taken me to the emergency room. Long story short, um, I got to have a knee replacement. So I start looking for a surgeon, and I go to the guy. You know, the guy, everybody says it's the best. So I go to the guy, and he walks in, hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so. Um, you know, I looked at your x-ray. You need a total knee replacement. He said, I understand this. That's what you need. And if anybody tells you anything differently, they're wrong. So, you know, you can go out and schedule it. And good to meet you. Sorry to walk out. I said, that is not enough to amputate my leg. It just didn't feel, and he's the guy. He understood, but I didn't feel like he understood me. So <clears throat> a friend of mine refers me to another guy, and he calls me and <clears throat> and he said, so I, I looked at your MRI. He said, how are you walking around? I said, well, I'm not. I've been in a wheelchair for a month. And he said, well, tell me about the pain. When did it start? How does it radiate? How long has it been? And he's just talking to All of a sudden, I'm feeling different. Well, long story short, I felt understood by him. So I'm kind of ready to go, right? But I want to ask one more, get one more opinion. So I go to see this other guy, 
And he's pretty understanding and listening. And and then he's examining me also, and he goes, guys, come on in here. And three residents come in. And he says, look, see how his knee, see this muscle right here? Now, that's what we're doing our research on. And this is, you know, and we're doing that big presentation. We're going to use this guy as one of our subjects, and we'll get the data. I want you doing this because all of a sudden, this guy's failing the second ingredient of trust, which is, who's this for? What's his motive? See, we, it started to feel like he wasn't there for me. He was there for him. How many times have you ever gotten that email? Hey, I got a deal for you. You'll love this. But you know that guy, <laughs> and you know who's really going to love it. He's going to love it, right? And we trust when we know, simply stated, it's what God did for us, that someone has favor for us. The Bible talks about God has favor for us. He does things that are for us that are apart from his self-interests. We start to trust somebody when we feel like, They've got our back, even when we're not in the room. You know, Gottman, the, the marriage researcher, says that a betrayal in a marriage is when one party does anything without taking their spouse's feelings or how it's going to affect them into consideration. And we need this. How many times have you ever been on a team in your business and the team's working on this one thing, but there's this, this one person's got their own agenda, and they're always trying to move it this way, and we know they're not really for what we're trying to do. They're for what's good for them. So that didn't feel so good. So I go back to, to Dr. Empathy, <laughs> and, and I call him. I said, yeah, I'm thinking about doing this. He said, yeah, man. I said, I read about you, and, and I got to get you back on the golf course. You got a lot of years left, and, you, what, you got two daughters that are in their, what, 20? He said 20, 23. Yo, man, we got to get you trapped. You're going to have grandkids. You want to be romping. All of a sudden, he's talking about my life, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm ready. You, you care. <laughs> you care. So now I'm going to sign up with him, right? So he's got the motive, and he's got the understanding. And then, but what if that guy had said at this point, I'm feeling all, you know, taken care of, and, and all of a sudden, he goes, I can't wait to do your knee because I'm an OB-GYN. I've never done one of these before. <laughs> now, I'm going, I'm looking for a little different area of the body to know something about, which gets us to the third one. This person may understand me. They may be for me. But do they have the ability to pull off what I'm entrusting to them in this context? How many times you're seeing best friends, they love each other, they trust each other with their life. They say, we have so much fun. Our wives love each other. Let's go into business together. Let's open up a business. Trust that guy with your life until six months later, you realize he didn't know schmutz about running a business. I trusted him with my life and everywhere, but this is the wrong context to trust. A friend of mine called me. He said, um, my, my daughter's boyfriend called and wants to take me to dinner. He said, I know what that means. This kid's never bought dinner for me. He's going to ask for a hand in marriage. He said, what do you do at that dinner? How do you conduct that conversation? I said, I got two daughters. I know what I'm going to do. He said, what? I said, I'm going to tell him to show up with his last two years' tax returns. 
And he laughed. He said, yeah, right. I said, I am dead serious. He said, you'd never do it. I said, of course I I'm going to do it. He said, that's so intrusive. I said, look, he can white out the numbers. I don't care what the numbers are on the tax return. I just want to know if he can find them. <laughs> do they exist? <laughs> said, because the job description of a husband is way different than the job description of a boyfriend. There's a context here. And he might be caring and have good motives, but my daughter's going to join her life to this guy. I want to know if he's got the ability to do life. So this thing, it's like I got called to a company one time that um, they had a new CEO in the past year, and things weren't going great. You know, morale was down. They weren't really getting the movement they needed and do all the interviews. And I come back, I said to the chairman, how, he's been the CEO a year? And they said, yeah. I said, how did he get to be the CEO? He said, well, we, he was our CEO, and he was awesome for 10 years. We did you know, distribution channels and supply chains and infrastructure. is incredible. So our CEO retired, and we made him CEO. He was the COO. I said, where did he get the E? They said, well, we promoted him. I said, I know you put him in the chair, but where did he get the E? The chip for the CEO, not the OO, because I'm looking at this this company, and it's being operated. It's not being led. See, there's a context. My daughter, <laughs> any of you, any of you, have you raised teenagers? <laughs> when Olivia got her permit, remember that day? Because we had driven golf carts and parking lots and all that, and but we get out there on the real street the first day. And she goes down to the first, and I'm freaking out, by the way, just sitting in the wrong chair. That's what drugs are for, is for that day. <laughs> and we go down to the first stop sign. She doesn't really stop. She kind of goes, I said, Olivia, you didn't stop. You didn't come to a complete stop. She said, Dad, I know how to drive. I said, Olivia, pull over. And she kind of growls and pulls over. Let me tell you when you know you know how to drive. It's when I can sit over here and not fear for my life. That's how you know that you know. And that's what we need to feel and trust. Somebody can pull this off. So let's say I do my research, and I did, and the, the surgeon was president of the American Association of Joint Replacement Surgeons, and he's got a lab with the PGA Tour on knees and golfers, and I go, okay, he's competent, right? So what if I said, all right, well, let's do this. He says, by the way, you know, it's a teaching hospital, and I'm going to do one in about a half hour if you want to watch it through the, you know, the, the glass. You're welcome to. I thought for a second, I said, there's no way in hell I'm watching that. <laughs> Not before I go do it. I'll never do it. So anyway, I didn't do it. But what if I had, and, and we'd gone in there, and um, or he had gone in there, and I'm watching him, and and all of a sudden he's sawing this guy's leg in half and then starts bleeding. And he goes, oh, no, he's bleeding. The, the guy's bleeding. Somebody do something fast. The patient's bleeding. I want somebody with a little cooler head under pressure. <laughs> Number four, what's their character makeup? Somebody of all the talent in the world and this, that, and the other. But what if they're 
a little hot-headed. You got to send them in a situation that's going to require something really different than that. Oh, what if they're kind of codependent? Everybody know what a codependent is, an enabler? Somebody right, right before they die, somebody else's life flashes before their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> they're always helping everybody out. I remember one time this team sent this guy out to get him out of this long-term lease in a big warehouse and said, we got to end this. And he comes back and I said, you get us out of it? He said, no. I, in fact, I, I extended it and we're going to make them a loan. And literally, and they're going, what? We sent you to, to break up and you got married. He said, well, they've been having a hard time. You know, they need a little help. And I had a brother-in-law who was a Navy SEAL. We lost him in Iraq in 08. But Mark was talking about these guys are glued together in a way that is <laughs> it's just indescribable. I'd say, Mark, tell me a story. He'd come back from deployment. Yeah, we jumped out of a plane 40,000 feet, went through the oxygen level, full scuba gear, went down the bottom of the ocean, took a little nap because we had been up. And then we had six of us boarded one of Saddam's ships or somebody and took it down, turned around, took it to the U.N. there, had breakfast. <laughs> Another day. I jumped out of an airplane once, and it didn't go like that. <laughs> but if the bad guys are coming after me, I want Mark. Not only because of his competencies, because he's how he's glued together, his makeup. Now, my dog died. I ain't calling Mark. He was the least, uh, I did their wedding, he and my sister-in-law, and they both flunked the sympathy scale. I'm going, who's going to be nice in this marriage? <laughs> they actually had a great marriage, but they were tough skin. My dog dies, I'm not calling Mark. He'll say, well, let's go shoot another one. You won't feel as bad. <laughs> you know, I want somebody in that context that's got a little compassion, right? You send somebody home to do a turnaround project and they need a lot of attaboys, a lot of encouragement, there's not going to be any good news for a year. You want somebody that their makeup is, they can't wait to eat a problem for breakfast. So we look at context of how somebody is glued together to trust what I'm entrusting to them. So let's say Dr. Empathy good motive, good character, and, you know, he's got the competencies and all this, so we got four of them checked off the list. And then he says, all right, well, let's go do this. So we walk out of the exam room, and we're walking down out to schedule it, and there's a dead body lying in the hall. And we walk out there, and I stop, and I go, what, who, what? He goes, well, that's the guy I operated on yesterday. It didn't go so well, but we'll do better with yours. I don't think a day is long enough <laughs> for him to get better. The fifth one is, what happened the last time? What's the track record? Now, I have devoted my life to helping people that have bad seasons or bad stuff or, you know, turn it around. A failure, a long period of failure, doesn't mean necessarily that that person's not going to be trustworthy and a stellar performer later.
But the past is always the best predictor of the future. So maybe they had a lot of failures, and they say they're sorry, and we forgive them. They say, I'll do better. Well, forgiveness is about the past, and we can wipe that out, but trust is about the future. Forgiveness is free, and trust is earned. So we don't, from day one, put somebody back in that position or necessarily after a big betrayal trust, but what we want to see is we want to see a new past getting developed, a new track record where we can see that we can gradually, you know, because sorry is not enough. It's, it's essential. But it's not enough to know sometimes that we can trust. This track record is a big deal. Our minds build mental maps. Every interaction somebody has with you, they're building a mental map. Okay, And so it's like you walk down, get coffee in the morning, and you know the map, and you don't even need the lights. You walk right in there, and you just go. You trust because you know how this works. But what if your wife moved the couch? My wife has the – she loves to start a project at, like, midnight. And she's never started one of these that didn't require four handymen later. I mean, it just something happened. One night, she was going to hang new new blinds, and we had been out. It's like 1230 in the morning. She said, no, I won't take long. And come hold this, this. She said, I'll hold it, and you drill it. And it slipped, and I drilled right through her thumb. We're in the emergency room till 4 in the morning. The guy goes, I'm not going to ask, but what are y'all doing with the power drill at one moment? <laughs> I had a point. What was my point? What was I saying? Move the furniture. Move the furniture. Thank you. <laughs> you want to tell us about her? <laughs> so all of a sudden she moves the furniture. You walk down, boom, you, you trip. Well, now your map is different. What happens when somebody goes into the boss's office and with a problem, needs some help, and goes, you did what? And goes off on them. Well, they're building a map. The next time they got a problem, I'm not going that way. I'm going to go talk to somebody else. Well, what about a teenager or a spouse? See, every time we're learning from each other what we can expect from each other. And that gets built through our track record, moment by moment. Now, we can all make mistakes, but if that pattern is a good one, you know, mistakes, it's easy. You know, Mary's not there for the meeting at 8 o'clock, and everybody goes, well, we got to wait for Mary. Why would you wait for Mary? Because Mary's always there at 8. She'll be here. And at 5 after, when she's not, what does everybody feel? They're worried about Mary. Somebody go check on her. Something's wrong. You have compassion. Now, there's a mistake. Something's wrong. If Joey doesn't show up at 8, you start the meeting. Because <laughs> Joey's track record, he's not going to get there till late 20 either. He thought the breakfast was downtown. <laughs> His track record's big. Tori and I, years ago for GPS, um, I love it when I'm talking to guys like this because I, I say, you know, before you had GPS on your phone, talk to a lot of audiences and they look at me like, what, is, what does that mean, you know? Back before 
we had that, <clears throat> and we had a map, and we got some friends that started a church down there in South Louisiana, and we would come visit you, and they moved down there. I said, where do you live? He said, about 60 miles south of New Orleans. <laughs> but there is actually land, sort of. I mean, it's squishy, and, you know, there's bayous and all this, so it's down there with the Cajuns, and... So we get a map, and we land in New Orleans. We drive out there, <clears throat> and, and I got the address. And I can't find the place, so I pull in a gas station. And ladies working the counter, I said, can you tell me how to get here? She said, oh, yeah, it's not too far. You just go down that road a ways and hang a right. And she, I said, how far down the road? She said, just a ways. I'm going, what's a ways? She said, you know, just a ways. Just, just keep going. You'll see a lot of turnoffs, but skip those. <laughs> And she said, until you see, you'll see a dog lying in the grass. <laughs> I'm riding with you next time. I said, a dog? She said, yeah, he'll be lying in the grass. Now, that's the turn you want to make. I said, what if the dog sees a cat 10 minutes before? And it's not there. She said, oh, he'll be there. I go back in the car and tell Tori, we're looking for a dog. So I don't know what else to do. We start driving. So we drive a ways and pass and, and keep driving a ways and a ways. I go, we are lost, and we need to turn around. And then we come up. There's a German shepherd lying in the grass. We turn right, and there was the place. How did that woman know that German shepherd was going to be there? That dog had a track record. He had been there every day for however long. We have to ask ourselves, um, what kind of track record am I building in moment-by-moment -moment interactions with the people who need me? One of the questions I love to have teams ask each other, and I asked Tori, and you know, we, we used to go around the table of family meetings on Sunday night and ask the question to the family, what's it like to be on the other side of me? How's my track record? What am I doing that you like that helps you? What do you want me to do more of? What do you want me to stop? What do you want me to do I'm not doing? And we're building that track record all the time. We need to be cognizant of it. So I close with this. Um, you know, years ago, I uh, hit bottom in college. I'd been recruited to play college golf and had an injury and had to quit and my life was over at 19 or 20. Um, ended up in my board, board uh, dorm room. And I didn't know what to do. And I was worried about life. Hey, my girlfriend and I had broken up. How do you find the right one? How do you know what you should do with your life? I don't know. I'm an accounting and finance major, but that was a placeholder because I wanted to play golf. What am I going to do? How do you find a career? I didn't know what to do, and I, I hadn't read my Bible, and I don't know, I took one to college, and I looked up, and it was on the counter, and I, or on the bookshelf, and I felt kind of like something, so I'll look in there, and open it up, and it turned, opened up to a, a verse that jumped out of the page, and it said, it was in Matthew 6, it said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you said, all these things, like know how to do life, like make a relationship work or find what I'm supposed to You're supposed to look for God first? 
I said, okay. So long story, but um, walked across campus and went to an empty church. And I said, God, I don't even know if you're there, but if you are, I need you. Um, now, I was expecting to get zapped. I'd seen that on TV. <laughs> Nothing happened. It was the loneliest moment of my life because I had finally jumped out of the plane, reached out to God, and nothing happened. So I'm like, call me. <laughs> I go back to my dorm room, the phone rings. It's a fraternity brother of mine. You know what he says? He says, you're the last person I would think of, but we're starting a Bible study, and I want to invite you. I went, and for now, four decades ago, I can tell you, we have a God who understands what you're going through. We have a God whose motive is for you, not against you. We have a God who has the competency to pull it off. He has the character to give you anything you need at any moment, and he has a track record. So let's remember that this season. If you are where I was back then and you've never reached out, and you may not have hit bottom. You may be at the best season of your life. Ask that question that I ask. God, are you there? If you are, I want to know. What's your name? And then find a fraternity brother here and let him tell you those things about him. So God bless you guys.